0: Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and bring it to the streets. Give me a shout out, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. Um, I am continuing my conversation with David Edgington, and the name of the book is The Abusive Wife. Again, um here locally on 91.1 Grace FM. And again, uh, you can hear us on the Christian podcast, Community Striving for Eternity.org. So, David... I, I, because it's a new show, just quick introduction of who you are, and then our top, we left off on the difference between newthetic counseling and integration counseling. Am I right? Is that is that the, am I speaking that right? And most yes. seminaries speak integration counseling. So David, I'm going to hand it over to you. Introduce yourself, and we'll get the, the book and stuff later, but um, introduce yourself and then. Let's go back on that topic. If okay.
1: okay. Yep. Again, I'm David Edgington. I'm a pastor here in in, in Phoenix. Been a biblical biblical counselor, a pneumatic counselor for about 20 years now, and um, I love I love the Word of God. I love to help people and see people change with it through the public ministry of the Word and the private ministry of the Word. Acts six four talks about that. That the disciples were devoted to prayer. And the ministry of the word so when you and i preach dominic that's a public ministry of the word as to all people at one time but when we privately minister word, minister of the word that's when we're counseling people that's when we're discipling people we want to see specific sanctified change in people and the conviction is is that new counseling is the best way to bring that about to help people with counseling integration tries to integrate the world's theories of psychology with the word of god and when you integrate things like that you're going to dilute one or the other and in this case you do dilute the power of the word of god the power of the gospel for salvation the change that god alone makes if we turn to the world and say boy the world has much more insight than the scriptures do we're, we're going on the wrong direction so, uh, so that's the conviction that I operate from, and yet there's another dimension of pneumatic counseling that's not often talked about. It's in Acts chapter 20 where the apostle Paul says that he would admonish everyone with tears. Now, that's the same word. Admonish is the same word that we've been using before. It's the, it's the term pneumatic, nutheteo and it's in, it's reminding us that compassion has to be part of newthetic counseling. It's not just beat people over the head with a Bible. That's the way it was presented in many cases in seminary. When I went to school, it was Just beating people over the head with a Bible. I'm like, that's that's not what newthetic counseling is. But just like you didn't learn newthetic counseling in seminary, neither did I. I didn't learn it there. It was only after I was a pastor and I graduated and I thought, I don't know how to help people. How do I help... I can preach the scriptures, but how do I counsel this? I should be able to counsel the scriptures. Wow. And so I had to take a separate path after seminary, after I got out of seminary, and uh and I learned I learned about nuthetic counseling that way. It was funny. I I I remember I met Jay Adams um years and years ago, and I talked to him about, it. I said, I'm a student at this certain seminary. And, uh, and he said, he says, well, he says, I guess you're in enemy territory then talking to me. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He says, well, that that seminary doesn't like me. And I said, why? And so that just kind of struck up a conversation and, and, um, and really opened my eyes to a lot of things that we have missed. We've missed the boat on in the church that, um, we're embracing the world and the world's philosophies and the world's counseling theories. Uh Colossians 2, I think it's verse 8, talks about that, to be careful not to be taken captive by empty yeah. philosophies. You know, and that's that's what's happened. It's sad, but it's happened. And again, these are good men. These are men that you and I know, Dominic. Yeah. That I go, what has happened? Why would they embrace that?
0: Okay. We need to get back to the book. I can, we, we can, you know, something, uh, I, I don't want to put, uh, David on the spot. We can maybe get another podcast and talk about the difference between nuthetic and, and integrative, uh, counseling, but I do want to get back to the book. And I think that's a, and I like using, when you get the Greek words, the nuthetic, uh, nuthio, like you says, is in the Bible. And, and right. that's important. As I, I look at some of the things from the book, one of the things that I was looking at, as we looking at the questions, is what tempts a woman to become like this, and what do they want? I mean, what is, so I, I don't know if that's a kind of a loaded question, but I, what tempts a woman to be like this, and what is their end goal? Is that fair to say? What what do they want from this?
1: Well, I think we go all the way back again to Genesis 3.16, Right to the beginnings of creation, Adam and Eve. And I like the way the ESV translates this, Genesis 3.16, that the wife's desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So the ESV brings out that sense that this desire is not a good desire. This is a desire that's a result of the fall. And so this is ingrained in women. Now not all women are reviling women, not all women are abusive wives, not all women are like that. But the ones that do not take this into account, their desires are going to be contrary to their husbands and there's where the fight starts. There's where the reviling can set in if a wife is not careful because that's, you know, that's what she wants. She wants to be in charge. She wants to rule. She wants to be Here's, here's some of the traits of the reviling wife. She wants to be independent. She doesn't want to have to listen to anyone, and especially not her husband or, or a man. She has, uh, you know, she's embraced a lot of these kinds of thoughts that says, the only way I'm going to be happy is to be independent and not be de- dependent on any man and let him tell me what to do. Um, so this is what she wants. You know, sh- her goal is is really to rule in the home. And if the husband doesn't abide by that or agree with that, then she gets angry and she becomes bitter. This is a big part of it. She's controlling and she becomes bitter. And no matter what the husband says, it's like, nope, that's not right. You've got to submit to me, husband, and then we'll have peace in our home. But, you know, you, you can't have peace by having your biblical roles turned upside down. And, and the biblical roles have to be that the husband is the head of the home and he is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And the wife is to submit to the husband, just as the church submits to Christ in everything. You know, this is this is the biblical pattern. And when that pattern is ignored or minimized or even pushed back on, there's going to be chaos in that in that home and, and there's going to be fighting that is you know you can't win that war. Neither one of them are going to win that war. So, um, so yeah. that's what, in a nutshell, what the wife is looking for.
0: And I like what you said. I like what you said too. That husbands have to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave their life, and He gave His life for the for the elect or for the church. Okay. And so, you know, that's a a higher stricture than what you mean by submissive. Obviously. It's not that they're a slave. They're just trusting in the man being the head of the household.
1: Is that fair to say uh, just to submissive does not mean that the wife can never have an opinion. Submissive does not mean the wife can never say, you know what, I'm not sure that's a good idea. What do you think about this? Submissive basically means that we're willing to go in this direction, even if we don't agree with it. That's that's in a nutshell what we're talking about with submissive. It's not making them into a doormat. It's not making them into just a yes, man. Just do whatever your husband says and never, never address anything that he says that might be off. You know, my wife talks to me about some things and, and I go, you know, that's a good idea. Thank you for bringing that up. I think your I think your idea is better than mine. But the reviling wife looks at it and says, you know, husband, you you never have a good idea. Your ideas, I'm always going to fight you on everything. Uh, and the only things I'm going to submit to you on are the ones that I agree with you on, <laughs> which is really not submission, right? That's not that's not, you know, if if the husband makes a decision, the wife says, Well, I agree with that, so I'll submit to him. That that's not submission. Submission is when you disagree with him and yet you humble yourself and say, I'm I'm going to go along with what he says. I'm not going to fight him on it. And I'm not going to get bitter against my husband about this either.
0: I'm glad you said that we can have opinions and be safe, because that means Italians could be safe, because we have a lot of opinions. (laughs) But, uh, David, I'm Italian, too. I'm I'm Italian, too, Don. I know. No, David, you know what? When I always tell people Cornelius, right, that's, you know, he's from the Italian band. I said, see, they even... (laughs) At least they got an Italian guy in the Bible,
1: right? You're my Goomba. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) David, um, another subset of reviling wives is parental alienation. Okay, let me just give it to you because that's a a pretty loaded term. Oh, yeah. But not only that, that looks like, maybe I'm wrong, that looks like a root cause, or not the root cause, but a root cause of the reviling wife. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: I think parental alienation is a real issue. This is another another growing problem. This is a consequence of a reviling wife. It's really not prior to it, it's a consequence of it. Oh, okay, good. The, the reviling wife is is so angry at her husband, so bitter at her husband that she sets out to destroy him, destroy everything about him. She wants to annihilate him. She would like him to lose his job, except in some cases, in most cases, while she still wants the spousal support so she doesn't want to ruin his livelihood because then her livelihood would be affected. But the thing about children Children can easily be the pawns in in all of this. Okay, the divorce has happened, the separation has taken place, it's tragic, it's sad. Go your separate ways, and both of you learn to love these children and help them. Don't throw the other spouse under the bus. In other words, dad, don't say terrible things about mom to your kids, and mom, don't say terrible things about dad to the kids. You know, try to live separately in peace. But parental alienation takes it the other way. Parental alienation means, and it's usually the wife, sadly, I want my kids to learn that their father is evil, is wicked. He's a horrible man. He's a horrible father. He's a horrible husband. Don't be like him. And in fact, I'm going to do everything through the courts to keep my children from having any relationship with them. So she'll indoctrinate the chi- the children. She will brainwash them into just, you know, giving this narrative of how wicked the man is. And then again, the courts, which are very feminist in their leanings, that we're, we're doing this podcast in May of 2023, just to, as a timestamp. The courts are very feminist in their leanings. And the... Um, the court side with the woman a lot of times the man loses everything not only financially but he loses his children too and has zero contact with his kids or he has some contact and his kids are so angry at him that they want nothing to do with him that's parental alienation it's it's turning the children against the other parent let me tell you something else too that's very very interesting about this because probably some of the listeners or the viewers are thinking about this what what are these men really like we've talked about what these women are like what are these men really like here's here's a snapshot of what these men are like they're gentle they're kind they're compassionate they love their children they're probably naive about how bad their wife really is but they love their wives they're not angry at them they're not bitter at them they're not trying to control them they're not oppressing their wives they're not the genesis 316 man that's trying to rule over his wife they're you know these are these are good solid men and yet those are the kind of men that can be manipulated and controlled by a reviling wife an easygoing guy a guy that'll say where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Well, let's go over here. Okay, let's go there. He's not going to be the guy that's fighting her on everything. So these are gentle and kind and forgiving men, and those are the prime candidates for a reviling wife. So a whole nother area of this that I've, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I've been thinking about is how to prepare men to be aware of a potential reviling wife. So I'm talking about young men that are unmarried. How do I avoid marrying a woman that's going to turn out to be a reviling wife? And sometimes what happens, there are warning signs and the man just kind of overlooks it. But at other times, the woman just changes over the course of 10, 20, 30 years and becomes this bitter, angry, controlling person that you go, what happened to you? So a whole nother area of this, I know we're kind of We're kind of digging down and digging down on this. A lot of these women have gone through horrible trauma as young girls. Mm. Rape, incest, being physically beaten as children. And it kind of settles in their minds and it affects them to such a way that they see things in their husbands that, that are really not there. And they kind of project onto this husband all of this horrible, wicked evil things that happened to those women when they were little girls. And and now it's like, no, he's, he's this, he's, he's this wicked man. My husband is terrible. My husband is, he's always demanding sex. And it's like, no, he's just expecting to be able to have a physical intimate relationship with his wife. He's not demanding it, but in her mind, it feels like he is. So this is a whole nother area of this. So so now we go into this other area and saying, boy, the, the horrible things that have happened to young girls, this, these are the effects of it. This is what we're seeing. And the men that I've counseled, the men and women I've counseled, where the wife is a reviling wife, almost without fault, they have had some kind of trauma in their background. Not all of them, but many of them.
0: This is a huge statement because... Neuthetic counseling counsels from the word of God. But what about someone coming, whether man or woman, coming from that background, abusive childhood, uh, where, where they can be, I, I want to be careful because I'm, I'm not a doctor here, but where, where they can be affected by this cognitively um, right. in their mind. Now, is there any time that a new thetic counselor would suggest they see a doctor? And I want to be I want to be carefully. I'm not saying I know the word of God is sufficient a thousand percent. I stand on God's word. But is there is there come a time where things have happened in their childhood or something where they would have to maybe seek medical Help is that fair to say? I, I want to be careful. Is that is that a fair question, David?
1: Yeah, let's let's talk about that. That's that's important. Nuthetic counselors are not against m- the medical profession at all. It's not like right. don't ever go to a doctor, just right, pray right, right, right. the Bible and you'll get healed. I don't know anyone that says that. Um however, we have to be careful on okay, what kind of doctor are we going to? Are going to a psychiatrist that's going to prescribe medication? I, you know, I recommend against that because I go, no, the word of God is sufficient to address those things. If you're diabetic, I go, okay, you're diabetic, go to a doctor. I can't help you with that. I'm not a physician. I'm not a medical doctor. Go and address that with with a medical doctor. But we're talking about problems of living, problems of how do I function? How do I live my life? You know, the proverb says that a man of wisdom will draw these things out, will help them understand this. So even people that have gone through deep trauma, you help them. You minister to them. You, here's, here's an example. Um, Psalm 55, 56, 57. Psalm 55 talks about basically someone that has been betrayed by someone close. It's the chapter that talks about it's not an enemy who's done this. Then I could bear it. You, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. So there's that darkness, that that hatred that that is there. Psalm 56 is people that are imprisoned by those that hate him. So they have all the power. And the person that's been through the trauma has none of the power. So that person that's gone through the trauma has to draw closer to the Lord. This is the passage where God says he holds our tears in a bottle. So it's learning, trusting God. You may not trust people, but you learn to trust the Lord. Psalm 57 was where David had a predator that was chasing him, and he's hiding in a cave because Saul is after him. And that psalm ends with, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So there's there's spiritual change that needs to happen in these people that have been through this horrible trauma and, and and God still has the answers for them. I'm not convinced that a physician is going to be able to help them with that. Because again, these are spiritual issues that the spirit of God uses the word of God to change the person that has been so horribly wronged against. It's, it's sad. And again, this is where the new counselor has to put on compassion and slowly work with the person that's been through all of this the reviling wife, she often doesn't want to hear that. She not only doesn't trust her husband, she doesn't trust the counselor either. And and yet that's that's the, uh, you know, the, the answer is right there. The answer is right there in the word of God. And yet we run away from it.
0: David, we got about two minutes. Would you be kind enough to do one more segment? Cause there's some other questions. I know we, I, is. would you be able to come on one more time? Um, In the final two minutes before I get us into the next segment, before I have to obviously sign off here, is there ever, again, probably going to take longer than two minutes, but in your counseling, have you ever been able to get to the other side with this, where where there would be admitted repentance, whether it's man or woman? I mean, these things, have there been some fruit? coming from is that a fair question from from your counseling and that's you got about a minute so we're going to carry this over but i think that's a that's an important question
1: the 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 fruits that we often see and this is what i want to tell the men that might be listening to this the fruits that you're going to look for is that this will be the most sanctifying time in your life if you learn to to trust god and rely on him You'll become more compassionate. You'll become more forgiving. You'll understand how to suffer. You'll learn what it means to lament. There's a whole book in the Bible called The Lamentations. You'll learn so many things about yourself, and you'll learn how to prevent your own heart from become bitter against your wife. So, So that's the first thing I want to encourage the men that are going through this. They feel alone. They feel deserted. They feel like everyone's judging them. Remember that the Lord is with you. And for the the wife that might be hearing this, and she may feel some conviction that, well, maybe I've been reviling towards my husband. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will hear you. He will help you. He will minister to you. He will soften your heart. It is not hopeless. Don't ever look at it as hopeless, whether you're the man in that kind of marriage or the woman in that kind of marriage.
0: Pastor Dominic Grimaldi with Street Talk Theology. We take theology and we bring it to the streets. we got one more session with, with David Edgington and just look forward to it next week in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.DesertSkyBaptist.org.